Chapter One of Ardath: The Story of a Dead Self. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ardath by Marie Corelli. Part One: Saint and Skeptic. The Monastery. What merest whim seems all this poor endeavour after fame, to one who keeps within his steadfast aim a love immortal, and immortal too? Look not so wildered, for these things are true, and never can be born of atomics that buzz about our slumbers like brain flies, leaving us fancy sick. No, I am sure my restless spirit never could endure to brood so long upon one luxury, unless it did though fearfully espy a hope beyond the shadow of a dream keats deep in the heart of the caucasus mountains a wild storm was gathering drear shadows drooped and thickened above the pass of dariel that terrific gorge which like a mere thread seems to hang between the toppling frost-bound heights above and the black abysmal depths below clouds fringed ominously with lurid green and white, drifted heavily yet swiftly across the jagged peaks where, looming largely out of the mist, the snow-capped crest of Mount Kazbek rose coldly white against the darkness of the threatening sky. Night was approaching, though away to the west a broad gash of crimson, a seeming wound in the breast of heaven, showed where the sun had set an hour since. Now and again the rising wind moaned sobbingly through the tall and spectral pines that, with knotted roots fast clenched in the reluctant earth, clung tenaciously to their stony vantage-ground. And mingling with its wailing murmur, there came a distant hoarse roaring as of tumbling torrents, while at far-off intervals could be heard the sweeping thud of an avalanche slipping from point to point on its disastrous downward way. Through the wreathing vapours, the steep bare sides of the near mountains were pallidly visible, their icy pinnacles, like uplifted daggers, piercing with sharp glitter the density of the low-hanging haze, from which large drops of moisture began presently to ooze rather than fall. Gradually the wind increased, and soon, with sudden fierce gusts, shook the pine trees into shuddering anxiety. The red slit in the sky closed, and a gleam of forked lightning leapt athwart the driving darkness. An appalling crash of thunder followed almost instantaneously, its deep boom vibrating in sullenly grand echoes on all sides of the pass, and then, with a swirling, hissing rush of rain, the unbound hurricane burst forth alive and furious. On, on, splitting huge boughs, and flinging them aside like straws, swelling the rivers into riotous floods that swept hither and thither, carrying with them masses of rock and stone, and tons of loosened snow. On, on, with pitiless force and destructive haste, the tempest rolled, thundered, and shrieked its way through Dariel. As the night darkened, and the clamor of the conflicting elements grew more sustained and violent, a sudden sweet sound floated softly through the turbulent air, the slow, measured tolling of a bell. To and fro, to and fro, 
the silvery chime swung with mild distinctness it was the vesper bell ringing in the monastery of lars far up among the crags crowning the ravine there the wind roared and blustered its loudest it whirled round and round the quaint castellated building battering at the gates and moving their heavy iron hinges to a most dolorous groaning it flung rattling hailstones at the narrow windows and raged and howled at every corner and through every crevice while snaky twists of lightning played threateningly over the tall iron cross that surmounted the roof as though bent on striking it down and splitting open the firm old walls it guarded all was war and tumult without but within a tranquil peace prevailed enhanced by the grave murmur of organ music men's voices mingling together in mellow unison chanted the magnificat and the uplifted steady harmony of the grand old anthem rose triumphantly above the noise of the storm the monks who inhabited this mountain eyrie once a fortress now a religious refuge were assembled in their little chapel a sort of grotto roughly hewn out of the natural rock fifteen in number they stood in rows of three abreast their white woollen robes touching the ground their white cowls thrown back and their dark faces and flashing eyes turned devoutly toward the altar whereon blazed in strange and solitary brilliancy a cross of fire at the first glance it was easy to see that they were a peculiar community devoted to some peculiar form of worship for their costume was totally different in character and detail from any such as are worn by the various religious fraternities of the greek roman or armenian faith and one especial feature of their outward appearance served as a distinctly marked sign of their severance from all known monastic orders this was the absence of the disfiguring tonsure they were all fine-looking men seemingly in the prime of life and they intoned the magnificat not drowsily or droningly but with a rich tunefulness and warmth of utterance that stirred to a faint surprise and contempt the jaded spirit of one reluctant listener present among them this was a stranger who had arrived that evening at the monastery and who intended remaining there for the night a man of distinguished and somewhat haughty bearing with a dark sorrowful poetic face chiefly remarkable for its mingled expression of dreamy ardour and cold scorn an expression such as the unknown sculptor of hadrian's era caught and fixed in the marble of his ivy-crowned bacchus antinus whose half-sweet half-cruel smile suggests a perpetual doubt of all things and all men he was clad in the rough and ready garb of the travelling englishman and his athletic figure in its plain-cut modern attire looked curiously out of place in that mysterious grotto which with its rocky walls and flaming symbol of salvation seemed suited only to the picturesque prophet-like forms of the white-gowned brethren whom now he surveyed as he stood behind their ranks with a gleam of something like mockery in his proud weary eyes what sort of fellows are these he mused fools or knaves they must be one or the other else they would not thus chant praises to a deity of whose existence there is and can be no proof it is either sheer ignorance or hypocrisy or both combined i can pardon ignorance but not hypocrisy for however dreary the results of truth yet truth alone prevails 
its killing bolt destroys the elusive beauty of the universe but what then is it not better so than that the universe should continue to seem beautiful only through the medium of a lie his straight brows drew together in a puzzled frowning line as he asked himself this question and he moved restlessly he was becoming impatient the chanting of the monks grew monotonous to his ears the lighted cross on the altar dazzled him with its glare moreover he disliked all forms of religious service though as a lover of classic lore it is probable he would have witnessed a celebration in honour of apollo or diana with the liveliest interest but the very name of christianity was obnoxious to him like shelley he considered that creed a vulgar and barbarous superstition like shelley he inquired if god has spoken why is the world not convinced he began to wish he had never set foot inside this abode of what he deemed a pretended sanctity although as a matter of fact he had a special purpose of his own in visiting the place a purpose so utterly at variance with the professed tenets of his present life and character that the mere thought of it secretly irritated him even while he was determined to accomplish it as yet he had only made acquaintance with two of the monks courteous good-humoured personages who had received him on his arrival with the customary hospitality which it was the rule of the monastery to afford to all belated wayfarers journeying across the perilous pass of dariel they had asked him no questions as to his name or nation they had simply seen in him a stranger overtaken by the storm and in need of shelter and had entertained him accordingly they had conducted him to the refectory where a well-piled log-fire was cheerfully blazing and there had set before him an excellent supper flavoured with equally excellent wine he had however scarcely begun to converse with them when the vesper bell had rung and obedient to its summons they had hurried away leaving him to enjoy his repast in solitude when he had finished it he had sat for a while dreamily listening to the solemn strains of the organ which penetrated to every part of the building and then moved by a vague curiosity to see how many men there were dwelling thus together in this lonely retreat perched like an eagle's nest among the frozen heights of the caucasus he had managed to find his way guided by the sound of the music through various long corridors and narrow twisting passages into the cavernous grot where he now stood feeling infinitely bored and listlessly dissatisfied his primary object in entering the chapel had been to get a good full view of the monks and of their faces especially but at present this was impossible as from the position he was obliged to occupy behind them their backs alone were visible and who knows he thought moodily how long they will go on intoning their dreary latin doggerel priestcraft and sham there's no escape from it anywhere not even in the wilds of caucasus i wonder if the man i seek is really here or whether after all i have been misled there are so many contradictory stories told about him that one doesn't know what to believe it seems incredible that he should be a monk it is such an altogether foolish ending to an intellectual career for whatever may be the form of faith professed by this particular fraternity the absurdity of the whole system of religion remains the same religion's day is done the very sense of worship is a mere coward instinct 
a relic of barbarism which is being gradually eradicated from our natures by the progress of civilization. The world knows by this time that creation is an empty jest. We are all beginning to understand its bathos. And if we must grant that there is some mischievous supreme Farquhar, who, safely shrouded in invisibility, continues to perpetrate so poor and purposeless a joke for his own amusement and our torture, we need not, for that matter, admire his wit nor flatter his ingenuity. For life is nothing but vexation and suffering. Are we dogs that we should lick the hand that crushes us? At that moment the chanting suddenly ceased. The organ went on, as though musically meditating to itself in minor chords, through which soft upper notes, like touches of light on a dark landscape, flickered ripplingly. One monk separated himself from the clustered group, and, stepping slowly up on the altar, confronted the rest of his brethren. The fiery cross shone radiantly behind him, its beams seeming to gather in a lustrous halo round his tall, majestic figure. His countenance, fully illumined and clearly visible, was one never to be forgotten for the striking force, sweetness, and dignity expressed in its every feature. The veriest scoffer that ever made mock of fine beliefs and fair virtues must have been momentarily awed and silenced in the presence of such a man as this, a man upon whom the grace of a perfect life seemed to have fallen like a royal robe, investing even his outward appearance with spiritual authority and grandeur. At sight of him the stranger's indifferent air rapidly changed to one of eager interest. Leaning forward he regarded him intently with a look of mingled astonishment and unwilling admiration. The monk, meanwhile, extended his hands as though in blessing, and spoke aloud, his Latin words echoing through the rocky temple, with the measured utterance of poetical rhythm. Translated, they ran thus, Glory to God, the Most High, the Supreme and Eternal. And with one harmonious murmur of accord, the brethren responded, Glory for ever and ever, Amen. Glory to God, the ruler of spirits and master of angels. Glory for ever and ever. Amen. Glory to God, who in love never wearies of loving. Glory for ever and ever. Amen. Glory to God, in the name of his Christ our Redeemer. Glory for ever and ever. Amen. Glory to God, for the joys of the past, the present, and future. Glory for ever and ever. Amen. Glory to God for the power of will and the working of wisdom. Glory for ever and ever. Amen. Glory to God for the briefness of life, the gladness of death, and the promised immortal hereafter. Glory for ever and ever. Amen. Then came a pause, during which the thunder outside added a tumultuous gloria of its own to those already recited. The organ music died away into silence, and the monk now turning, so that he faced the altar, sank reverently on his knees. All present followed his example, with the exception of the stranger, who, as if in deliberate defiance, drew himself resolutely up to his full height, and folding his arms, gazed at the scene before him with a perfectly unmoved demeanor. He expected to hear some long prayer, but none came. There was an absolute stillness, unbroken save by the rattle of the raindrops against the high oriel window, 
and the whistling rush of the wind and as he looked the fiery cross began to grow dim and pale little by little its scintillating lustre decreased till at last it disappeared altogether leaving no trace of its former brilliancy but a small bright flame that gradually took the shape of a seven-pointed star which sparkled through the gloom like a suspended ruby the chapel was left almost in complete darkness he could scarcely discern even the white figures of the kneeling worshippers a haunting sense of the supernatural seemed to permeate that deep hush and dense shadow and notwithstanding his habitual tendency to despise all religious ceremonies there was something novel and strange about this one which exercised a peculiar influence upon his imagination a sudden odd fancy possessed him that there were others present besides himself and the brethren but who these others were he could not determine it was an altogether uncanny uncomfortable impression yet it was very strong upon him and he breathed a sigh of intense relief when he heard the soft melody of the organ once more and saw the oaken doors of the grotto swing wide open to admit a flood of cheerful light from the outer passage the vespers were over the monks rose and paced forth two by two not with bent heads and downcast eyes as though affecting an abased humility but with the free and stately bearing of kings returning from some high conquest drawing a little further back into his retired corner he watched them pass and was forced to admit to himself that he had seldom or never seen finer types of splendid healthful and vigorous manhood at its best and brightest as noble specimens of the human race alone they were well worth looking at they might have been warriors princes emperors he thought anything but monks yet monks they were and followers of the christian creed he so specially condemned for each one wore on his breast a massive golden crucifix hung to a chain and fastened with a jewelled star cross and star he mused as he noticed this brilliant and singular decoration an emblem of the fraternity i suppose meaning what salvation and immortality alas they are poor witless builders on shifting sand if they place any hope or reliance on those two empty words signifying nothing do they can they honestly believe in god i wonder or are they only acting the usual worn-out comedy of a feigned faith and he eyed them somewhat wistfully as their white apparelled figures went by ten had already left the chapel two more passed then other two and last of all came one alone one who walked slowly with a dreamy meditative air as though he were deeply absorbed in thought the light from the open door streamed fully upon him as he advanced it was the monk who had recited the seven glorias the stranger no sooner beheld him than he instantly stepped forward and touched him on the arm pardon he said hastily in english i think i am not mistaken your name is or used to be heliobus the monk bent his handsome head in a slight yet graceful salutation and smiled i have not changed it he replied i am heliobus still and his keen steadfast blue eyes rested half inquiringly half compassionately on the dark weary troubled face of his questioner who avoiding his direct gaze continued i should like to speak to you in private can i do so now to-night at once by all means assented the monk 
showing no surprise at the request. Follow me to the library. We shall be quite alone there. He led the way immediately out of the chapel, and through a stone-paved vestibule, where they were met by the two brethren who had first received and entertained the unknown guest, and who, not finding him in the refectory where they had left him, were now coming in search of him. On seeing in whose company he was, however, they drew aside with a deep and reverential obeisance to the personage called Heliobus. He, silently acknowledging it, passed on, closely attended by the stranger, till he reached a spacious, well-lighted apartment, the walls of which were entirely lined with books. Here, entering and closing the door, he turned and confronted his visitor, his tall, imposing figure, in its trailing white garments, calling to mind the picture of some saint or evangelist, and with grave yet kindly courtesy, said, Now, my friend, I am at your disposal. In what way can Heliobus, who is dead to the world, serve one for whom surely as yet the world is everything? End of chapter 1